0: Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up any time. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the writer's block. Hi, I'm Irvin Welsh, and this is my novel Skag Boys, which is set in Edinburgh in the 1980s. It's about the descent of a group of young people about town into the throes and horrors of heroin addiction. And the passage I'm going to read is um, about a character called Alison who is a bit of a party girl, a young girl going about town, having a a good time, but her mother is seriously ill and uh, it's changed, you know, the, the illness, the terminal illness of her mother has changed her life. And uh, this is the start of her kind of journey into her own particular hell. This section is called Dutch Elm. She was late and knew that wasn't the way to make the desired impression on the first day of her new job. Going out yesterday had been a bad idea, but following that visit to her parents, Alison had wanted to obliterate everything. That terrible moment her mother had coughed that viscid blood into her hanky. The way it unravelled, her mother father, and her as he sat transfixed on the dark red stain in her mother's hand. But the real horror had been in the mask of guilt on Susan Luzinka's face. She'd apologised, fretfully saying to her eldest daughter and her, her husband Derek, I think it's back. It had been Alison's afternoon off, a break from finishing up at the pool before she started her new job. She'd popped her head into the parental home to salve her guilt about not seeing her folks as often as she perhaps should since moving out a couple of years ago. Her younger siblings, Mary and Callum, weren't around and she'd been glad of that. Her dad's tense white face as he tried to get some defiance into his voice. We'll get the test done. And if it is, just saying like, if it is, we'll get through it, Susan. We'll get through it together. Alison had felt the room spinning, and the world seemed to shrink through her. She stayed a while, responding in kind to the thin voices, which seemed muffled, as if coming from another room. Her mother, now looking so wrecked and stricken, and her dad, a thin, mustachioed man, who'd just about been holding on to a spruce and spiffy sense of himself in middle age, visibly dwindling in solidarity with his wife at the onset of this terrible news. It's back. Then Alison had left, walking up to her flat in Pilrig. Unable to settle, she quickly headed out into the early evening. In Leslie and Sylvia, she'd bumped into two girls she didn't know that well. They'd gone to some drug party in Muir House, after which she'd ended up at Toll Cross on Johnny Swan's couch. Johnny had had wandering hand trouble and had tried to feel her up in the night. Eventually he gave up and left her, grumbling his way back to the bedroom. Leaving in the early morning light, she returned to her Pilrig flat, showered, then staggered up to her new job and the conference at the City Council Chambers. During her mother's long illness, Alison had grown used to filling her life with distractions. The Edinburgh Women's Poetry Group was a good one. It had the added advantage of being a male-free zone. She'd gone along to the group with her mate Kelly, till the latter's boyfriend Des felt threatened and, through sneering derision, put a stop to her friend's involvement. It wrecked her head to see Kelly, such a happy and outgoing soul, developed this brittle exoskeleton when Des came into the company. It was a refuge she'd habitually slither into, from where she'd hang on every inconsequential word that came out of his mouth. Still, that was her choice, and Alison's had been to keep going to the poetry group. She wasn't enamoured with all the girls there. Plenty had an obvious sexual agenda, while a few really hated men generalising from their personal bad experiences. But Alison could tell that some hadn't internalised the lesson and were thus destined to find their next equivalent, the misogynistic semi-alcoholic who brooded bitterly from barstool about the last bitch who had taken him to the cleaners. There was a death for every one of these girls. It was such a pity that he was with Kelly. Then there were those that Alison considered the worst members of the group, the ones who actually thought they were decent poets. As she entered the oak-panelled chambers, weighed down by the close heap from outside, Alison was set on edge by the presence of those busy, purposeful bodies and the foul waft she caught rising from her own armpits in spite of the attention of both shower and roll-on deodorant. Yuck! Alcohol and drug sleaze. You keep washing it away. It keeps coming back. She made her way to the back of the two-thirds full hall and sat down. Her new boss, Alexander Birch, was heading to the podium, positioning himself behind the lectern. With his light grey suit and hair fashionably styled, Alison found herself disconcertingly impressed by her new boss. He had a gay man's grooming, but with the slightly combative edge of the sporty heterosexual. "'I'm Alexander Birch, and I was drawn to working with trees "'for some reason that eludes me,' he began to the in- inevitable polite laughter. "'He'd long since learned to use the potentially embarrassing coincidence "'of surname and profession as a business tool. "'Allowing the mirth to subside, he then restarted, steely-eyed and deadpan. "'I don't want to sound melodramatic.' "'He looked around at the quieting, seething mass of bodies,' But I'm here to talk about a terrible plague that threatens to change our beautiful city beyond all recognition. The rustling abruptly stopped, and he had everybody's attention, even Alison's, who was wondering if such irony was sailing a little close to the wind. Her view was quickly revised when Alexander's longish face remained set in earnest concentration over a slide projector. He clicked on the full frontal view of a dark-looking insect. With its extended legs, it seemed to be challenging all in the room to a square go. This is an elm bark beetle. This creature spreads a fungal disease fatal to all elm trees. In an attempt to stop the fungus from spreading, the elm responds by plugging its own tissue with gum, which prevents water and other nutrients getting on to the top of it, and then it starts to wither and die. God, he isn't joking! Again the drum spun, sending a second slide clicking onto the screen. It showed a tree yellowing from the top down. The first symptom of infection are the tree's upper branches beginning to wither and shed leaves in the summer, giving the deceased tree an unseasonal autumnal hue, Alexander solemnly explained. This spread south, eventually going into the roots of the tree, which subsequently atrophy. Alison had settled down in her seat at the back of the chambers. Crossing her legs, she sidetracked herself with carnal thoughts, which came easily in the squalid hangover, and indeed was the only way to eke any enjoyment from it. Going south, to the root. Then suddenly, with an involuntary shudder, she wondered what they could do with her mother. More tests, more chemo. Would it work this time? Probably not. Would you take her to the hospice, and would she die at home, or in the hospital? Mum. Her breath caught. In panic, she pulled raggedly on the stale hot air in the room. A sequence of slides flashed up, some cityscape shots of Edinburgh, ranging from the recognisable Prince Street Gardens and the botanics to the hideaway corners of the city. Edinburgh is a city of trees and woods from the magnificence of the natural woodlands at Christophon Hill or Camo to the huge variety of splendid specimens in our parks and streets, Alexander argued, a pleasing flourish to his rhetoric. Trees and woodlands have an inherent biodiversity value while providing opportunities for recreation and environmental education. Our objective is to maintain a multi-aged treescape with a wide range of species that will achieve a balance of the physical, economic, social and spiritual needs of the city. Edinburgh has over 25,000 elm trees. They are an integral part of our city's treescape. As Alexander looked around at the forest of faces in the audience, Alison visualised her new boss as a little boy looking hesitantly on the edge of the woods. There was nothing shrinking about him, though, as he went on. Failure is not an option. We've lived with this nightmare since it was discovered here back in 1976. We've already lost 7.5% of our elms. Now we have to intensify our efforts on sanitation felling, even if it means accepting that we're now moving into a post-elm Edinburgh. That was what her mum felt. Failure. Stricken by that horrible disease. And she blamed herself. She feels like she's abandoning us. The next slide showed a group of overall clad, power saw wielding workmen engaged in the act of felling trees. To Alison, Alexander looked sombre, as if he was mourning the passing of an old friend. Another shot, this time of some trees piled up and a blazing, thick cone of smoke billowing in the air against a blue white sky. Alison thought of the last funeral she was at. It would have been Gary McVie from school, who'd died on New Haven Road, driving home a stolen car while drunk. He was a young, popular and good-looking boy, and there had been a big turnout. Now she imagined his smashed body, blasted to bone chips and dust, down in that furnace they lowered the coffin into. Matty, who'd briefly worked at Seafield Crematorium, had cheerfully told to her that the incinerator didn't completely reduce the bodies to ash. The attendants had to put them through this crushing device to grind down the stubborn, skeletal, larger bones, the pelvis and the skull. Mum. Oh, Mum. Alexander's messianic gaze fell on the assortment of councillors, officials, staff and pressmen, then swept upwards to the smattering of concerned citizens in the public gallery. The intensification of Dutch elm disease control through a sanitation policy of the felling and burning of elms is absolutely vital in order to keep the disease at a manageable level and allow us to gradually replace the elms with other species. Alison was now thinking of her mother playing with grandchildren, the kids that she supposed that one day she, Mary and even Callum might have as Alexander clicked on a slide of trees being planted. Suddenly he was upbeat again. Did he have kids? Alison thought she recalled him saying something in passing to that effect. After the interview, when she'd been appointed and came to see him and they'd had a coffee and an informal chat. This policy of ruthlessly culling diseased trees and renewal through planting is the only way to preserve our treescape, thus our cityscape, he contended, winding up the presentation on that positive note and graciously thanking the audience. And it had seemed to go down well, even if it was intended more as a hearts and minds session, as he previously described it to her. The Recreation Committee had already passed the policy and it would go through the formality of going to the full council next week, as extra resources had to be sought from the Scottish Office. As he climbed down from the platform, Alison gauged Alexander's smile, terse and businesslike, warm and inclusive, yet some way shy of frivolity accepting with ease the admiration for the way he'd formulated this policy and was now preparing to enact it. When she finally caught his eye, Alexander was in the company of a late middle-aged man. He had an implausibly red face, as if it had been spray-painted, the startling effect heightened by his silver hair and a bright yellow shirt. Alison, Alexander smiled as she moved over to them. This is Councillor Markland, chair of the Recreation Committee. He then turned to the Belisha Beacon Man. Stuart, Alison here is a new admin support for the unit. She's been seconded for the RCP. How's things at the commie these days? Councillor Markland asked her. Fine, Alison smiled, warming to the councillor for using the punter's colloquialism for the Royal Commonwealth Pool rather than the bland council-speak Alexander had deployed. I've just started this job with Alexander today, on secondment for a year. Come and grab some lunch with us, Alexander said. Then I'm going to take you on a wee drive around some of the Dutch Elm disease hotspots. They left the chambers, heading in the hazy heat across the Royal Mile to a wine bar. It was the last day of the festival and the narrow street was packed with crowds watching performers do their things in the cobblestones. By the time she got across... Alison had flyers from eight different shows pressed into her hand. Alexander took a couple, but Stuart Markland waved away the preferring young students with a low, gruff burr, displaying the intimidating bearing of a man who'd seen it all before. But he ignited as he stepped inside the tavern, literally rubbing his hands with glee as he was shown to a table in the corner. Though far more appreciative of the wine and the food, her stomach actually seemed to have shrunk. Alison, nonetheless, forced her way through it, mindful of the fact that she'd eaten little over the last two days. Stuart Markland seemed to be enjoying both. He grinned wolfishly at them as he shoveled some chicken Kiev into his mouth, then wiped it with his napkin. Alexander, nursing one glass of red, made a serious point. "'I don't like the way some people are deploying the anacronym DED, dead, in council correspondence.' "'I've made this view known to Bill Lockhart. "'If the newspapers get a hold of that and start adopting it, "'it gives off a ghoulish, defeatist impression. "'We have to avoid on goals, Stuart,' he said, "'compelling the councillor to give this point his attention. "'For sure,' Marklin barked. "'Dutch Elm sounds more robust,' Alexander stabbed the air with his fork. "'The press will be a huge part of this campaign, "'so let's make sure we're all singing from the same song sheet as soon as possible.' Alison, you might like to monitor correspondence relating to the unit, and Dutch Elm disease in general, of course, and perhaps diplomatically issue a wee note to concern parties to that effect. Right, Alison said. What is he on about? Markland seemed to be considering something, lowering his bushy brow. For a few seconds, Alison thought it was the wine he was savouring, before he asked... So when does this felling and planting policy start coming into action? I've got a squad out right now, down in darkest West Granton by the gasworks. Started yesterday, Alexander said, stopping short of smug in his satisfied confidence. He knew he'd bent the rules and jumped the gun by sending them out before the policy was rubber stamped, but he was anxious to appear dynamic. He studied Markland's booze-beaten face for a reaction. Feeling a palpable relief when it crumbled into a smile. You didn't let the grass grow under your feet, the councillor said, adding, No pun intended. And to Alison's delight and Alexander's obvious discomfort, he waved across the bar, ordering a second bottle of wine. To subscribe to the writer's block and hear more stories, visit KQED org writers block The writer's block is produced by KQED.